0: Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm gonna delve into the details of their journey along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire, They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to Ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at ceincanada.com. At that is ceo at reincanada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, or your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So, thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Nick Blago, is a founder of his business, Building Investments Inc. He's a longtime Ottawa Ray member and a multi award winner, including Multifamily Investor of the Year, Co Venture of the Year and the Leslie Cuff most prominent player of the year. Beginning in 2008 with the purchase of a condo, his path has led him to today where Nick and his team, who are part of Building Investments, Inc., are developing multi-million dollar rental buildings and are strategically focused on creating and building his vision of providing the best properties to the best people by adding new or fully renovated apartment buildings in communities with the greatest potential for growth in Ontario, which he determines based on their clear understanding of market research, of land acquisition, planning, construction, and the overall business of investing in real estate. Nick has a passion for building and managing large investment properties with an eye to a long-term future that this and future generations will love to live in. Building investments stands apart in that, with every project, Nick brings his design engineer skills and combines it with his team's construction experience and ensures that their real estate projects increase yields and drive the highest returns on their investment. Dick joins me today to share some of the lessons he's learned along his journey, some expensive ones, <laughs> and some of his life philosophies and vision for the future. Enjoy the show. Nick Leggo welcome to the everyday millionaire podcast nice to have you on the show finally uh, connected we have both been busy but here you are yeah
1: thank you uh, Patrick I'm really excited to be here thank you for inviting me.
0: so Nick you know you're a, a longtime rain member you're uh, become quite a sophisticated and veteran real estate investor but beyond all of that when you know if, if somebody's asking you what you do uh, you're meeting for the first time kind of thing and they say so Nick what do you do what what Do you have an answer to that question that you kind of lay on the table? Yeah,
1: that's a very good question. Uh, I I, I try to stay as focused as I can and my answer is generally uh, very simple, uh, is I'm a multifamily investor and developer.
0: So in the world of real estate, your focus is multifamily residential and and did you say commercial as well?
1: I'm looking at commercial as well, uh, but right now I've only done uh, 100% uh, residential.
0: Now, uh, you're a relatively young man. How long have you been investing in real estate? Oh, good question. Uh, I started at
1: t- at the age of 25 uh, in 2008. So if someone does the math, I'm, I'm, I'm 35 now. So I call it exactly 10 years, some 10 years in.
0: So, I mean, 10 years, when you say it, 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 it seems like in my world, it's like ten years. Okay, just it's gone. You know, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you <laughs> holy cow. How did how did we uh, how do we just eat up ten years? And so, but ten years in the world of real estate, given your focus, is really a lot of learning, a lot of education, a lot of experience because you've been doing a number of deals along the way. So now you're a full time. You're in the world of being a full time real estate investor. Has that always been the case, or where were you when you were twenty five years old? You know, take me back to when you're twenty five and. Couple questions, which I have a tendency to go down all sorts of rabbit holes, but I'll, I'll stay focused. Yeah, yeah. Two questions: What were you doing back when you were 25 and you started investing in real estate? What was the kind of catalyst or the fork in the road for you to say, "I'm going to be a real estate investor"? And what were you doing before that?
1: Very, very good question. Uh, so I graduated uh, in university at uh, 25 years old in 2008, and. Um, uh, what led to uh, investing in real estate is just before starting university, I had quite a few scholarships, and I didn't need the I didn't need the money I had accumulated to be able to pay for my tuitions for the first two years. So I went to a financial planner at the age of 20, I think it was, and then I said, "I want you in to invest this money," which was about, I think it was, you know, $17,000 or $15,000. I don't know. I forget the number is. And I said, I want to make 10% per year. And then when I graduate, I'm going to be able to use that money to pay off uh, loans or whatever else. So, uh, so I ended up, uh, getting that money invested. And when I graduated in 2008, in April, 2008, I looked at my portfolio and it had gone up about 25% over the course of the five years. So 25%, five years, 5% per year. I'm like, I'm a genius. It didn't cost me anything. And I didn't have to do anything, and it went up 25%. So in April 2008, I said to myself, I'm going to leave my money in the stock market with this financial planner for another five years with the hopes of uh, having it go up another 25% over that period of time. Well, unbeknownst to me, in October 2008 and November 2008 was when we had the financial crisis. And I learned very quickly Uh, What happened to that store portfolio uh, within a matter of six months? And within a year, I lost all the profit and lost about 40 or 50% of the uh, equity that I had put in. Uh, However, uh, six months after graduating, uh, I had the opportunity to buy my first uh, little property, which was a two-bedroom condo for $168,000. And I only had $2,000 to put down because back then, one week before it stopped. There was an opportunity to buy with no money down if you, uh, if you bought it as a primary residence. So I did that. So that's how I got started. So 25 years old, I had bought my first little property. Uh, I moved in, uh, cleaned it up. Uh, and then uh, shortly after, uh, I got it rented. Uh, and I moved back with, uh, uh, with my girlfriend at the
0: time. Now, you know, I think listeners should know that you have a background as an engineer.
1: Yeah. So I graduated, uh, you know, uh, engineering and business. So I had that a little bit, uh, working for me, but you know, if there's a couple things that were really big trigger points to buying real estate, there's two major ones. The first one is there's only one book I ever read cover to cover, uh, when I was in high school and it was uh, rich dad, poor dad. That's the only single book I read from cover to cover. And the two lessons I got out of that book is, Buy real estate, own your own business. That's it. I, I, I don't remember anything else apart from the, you know, later on, there's more information, but these were really the two main points.
0: I'm currently reading uh, Robert Kiyosaki's book. I have got, got through most of it. I recommend the book. It's, it's quite heavy. It's like in terms of content and what it's doing. It's called Fake and were uh, really quite fascinating. And Robert Kiyosaki, uh, you know, I would say probably 90% of the people that I've, uh, the guests that I've had on this show have read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I mean, it was certainly one of the, it was probably the catalyst for me many years ago, I'm going to say over 20 years ago, that got me moving forward in a lot of things in business and real estate. So you read the book cover to cover. That was probably what I'm assuming. That's what tweaked you into saying I'm going to take my my primary residence and turn it into a rental property. Is that I, I interrupted, so I don't want to take you off the path.
1: Uh, well, no, it was simply. I mean, the uh, Rich Dad Poor Portad book uh, kind of led me into saying, you know, investing is the way the is is the way out of the rat race. So that was the really the, the key it. takeaway. But the real trigger to go in real estate is. I mean, I had graduated and uh, within six months, I had lost, you know, all, all the profit from the, that little stock portfolio I had, plus, you know, 40% of additional equity I had put in. So I'm like, okay, over overnight, quote, unquote, overnight, you can lose uh, so much. And so, you know, the book uh, kind of said that, you know, if you're buying right, you can invest and, and, and do well with real estate. So the cool thing is to pay for my university. In high school, I was, I, I, you know, oddly enough, I was going out with a, a girl where uh, her father was a contractor and a builder. So I was working as a labor at the other end of a hammer, uh, building all those houses in the summer to pay for my school. So that's really what triggered the knowledge, the insider knowledge, to know what to do with property, to deal with that, and then, uh, you know, the engineering helped a little bit with uh, the numbers part. Part of
0: it. So at 25, where you're you're at the other end of a hammer, you're doing some labor work for your girlfriend's father. Is that was your primary source of income at that time? And then and then when was there a clear decision that you made to be full time real estate investor?
1: The at 25, I had graduated and I went to work for an engineering team. Okay, got so it. So I was I was a I was a design engineer uh, after graduation. But until I graduated, I was working as a labor construction company.
0: Now you're in Ottawa. Were you born and raised in Ottawa, Nick? I was born in a small town,
1: uh, called Hammond. And you know what, the, you know, my funny joke is, is that if you know where Hammond is, you're probably lost. Uh, <laughs> you know, back in, uh, back in the days when I was there, there was probably 600 people in the whole, in the whole village today, there's probably 500. So it's not increasing. It's actually decreasing. Uh, and our closest neighbor were about a, you know, about a mile away. Uh, and so, you know, the work uh, the work back then was working on farms for friends and family and neighbors, and and just a lot of really uh, hard physical work. So, so that was where I grew up.
0: Now, I'm 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 always interested in, in individuals' journey into being, you know, business owners, being entrepreneurial. Now, did you come by that honestly? Where were your parents in all of this? You know, why is it that you? went on that entrepreneurial journey, aside from what you read in the book, aside from your kind of how you think, given that you're, you know, you're an engineer kind of, I I know that engineers seem to think a certain way. They're, they're, you know, they're pragmatic, they're thoughtful, they're, you know, they, they think things through. So where did the, where did the idea to be uh, an entrepreneur and full-time real estate investor come from? Family surrounded that way or? How did you get there? Um,
1: It was kind of an evolution uh, over the years. I didn't really want to be, um, I wouldn't say I didn't want to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't, I didn't have this major itch, which a lot of people do have. It was kind of almost by accident. I I think I was blessed with the opportunity to have a lot of major emotional uh, struggles when I was a kid. And that was probably a catalyst for not settling, uh, to what was the family situation, uh, back then. And so, uh, those early days, um, uh, forced to make a lot of, a lot of decision and, and mature really quickly. And, 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 from that point on, you know, I had made the decision, my family didn't want me to go to a school. They wanted me to stay and, 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 and work. My, my father owned, a uh, a small tire company, so so blue collar, um, self-employed, you know, and, and working. And my, my mother was a stay-at-home mom when, when you know, we were kids, but went up to work for the government uh, secretary or admin at the position. So, uh, but none of them ever went to post-secondary school, and that was kind of the trend. So I was the first one to say, I want to go to post-secondary. Uh, because I did, I saw around me and one thing I realized was that I did not have any models in both sides of my family that ever went to school. So I had to make some, some decisions to break away from that. Uh, so, and that was probably the first ignition point that what led to real estate was simply just the, the background of knowing how to swing a hammer and, and you know, paint a wall uh, combined with the fact that reading the book to say you got to do some investments to get uh, to get ahead. So I could swing the hammer if I needed to, and all I need to do is just make sure that uh, numbers work to buy, and then go from there.
0: So you use you made the comment that you're blessed to have faced I think some adversity as a kid growing up. But what can you share, or what what would you share about that adversity? What what kind of adversity were you facing back then?
1: Yeah, so uh when I was in my uh, early teens, I think it was uh 9 or 10 years old. So uh so I'm I'm the oldest uh of the family now. I have a younger sister, but back in the days uh, we used to be uh, uh I had two other two uh, older siblings that passed away. Mm. Uh so uh that changed a lot of the family dynamic and most of my childhood uh, I remember was uh, spending time in hospitals. So I didn't have the same you know, I was, I was a happy kid. Normally, you know, I was sporty, you know, outgoing, that kind of of perspective, but uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in school. So as a, uh, in hospital, as a result of that, you know, our, our, we didn't have any outgoings or stuff like that. Uh, And it was quite tight financially for, uh, from our parents' perspective uh, because a lot of the medication and healthcare required for this wasn't covered. Uh, All this, Ah, uh, perspective uh, made me mature uh, quite quickly and quite early at that age, uh, to be able to make decisions that uh, would would affect um, my future, as opposed to just looking at uh, what the model of what the uh, what the situa- family situation was. And then, once um, you know the 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 second the the second oldest sibling passed away, my parents divorced immediately after. Uh, so then that, you know, that end up being what, what that end up being. And so the the rest of the teams were quite interesting as well, uh, growing up and I had to do a lot of, uh, had to do a lot of emotional and conscious, uh, reflection to be able to move forward in life. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm quite blessed with, the quite blessed with the, the early struggles because today, I think it's a big catalyst for me
0: yeah, it's interesting. and I would never profess to know anything about uh, you know being a parent that would lose a child. All I know is what I've heard or or stories such as yourself who has been part of that or in that environment. And what I come to realize is that you know we sometimes in the moment look at adversity and and don't like it. But ultimately, as we come through it, we can often, most often, I would say, maybe even always reflect on it and go, if we faced it, And took it on mindfully, thoughtfully. We come out the other side better for it. But, in that's not, I guess that's not always the case because you faced it head on. You did what you did. You came out the other side. You can reflect on it and go, it's great. There are certainly individuals who go the opposite direction. You know, it it actually shuts them down for the rest of their life and it becomes the reason that they can't move forward or they don't have success. And as a matter of fact, it can be actually extreme the other way. So I think that at this point in my life, and as I've reflected on my own challenges or have witnessed others' challenges, there, I guess there is, you know, there is a, how you take on adversity and how you come through it, how you face it and get past it, really re- reset the trajectory for what's next.
1: I think there's a process that people need to consciously engage with themselves to be able to remove as many emotional mountains from, from their past as possible. Listen, e- even if you have the best childhood possible with a happy family, well off, everything else, I can almost guarantee that you have some emotional baggage that you're carrying from, whatever. And so I, I think the, person's, the, success, the person who desires success... At any level, uh, not only financially but on, on all aspects need to spend the time required to uh, to address that to clear that out to remove uh, what I call uh, you know emotional anger so once that's out, I think that's really the the fuel that gets people going and then the, the, the question is what's the path to get you there
0: now, only because you know many listeners and people in general are facing different challenges they to your point, I think everybody has some degree of emotional baggage, and and how we face it, how we handle it is uh, is really in our it's in our court. You know, that's the responsibility we have, and and we got to own whatever that is. Is there some specific work that you did? So, is there a study of something? Is there a you know? Are you in? Is there Christianity, religion, meditation? Or what were some of the tools that you used that you've used to get through that and face that adversity? Get and kind of shed that emotional baggage
1: yeah so um i'd say that I, in, I invested probably more into personal development than anything else especially at the beginning and that was um the thing so i'll, I'll share a couple so yes christianity but it didn't really change anything it just gave me a perspective of something i didn't really understand uh, but i think the biggest one was it was called uh, you know millionaire minds from t Har becker and it was essentially a, a series of personal development courses that you signed on. So essentially, I'll, I'll just I'll take take the listeners back to the, a little bit about the situation. In 2008 graduated, working as an, a design engineer. I had bought my first two properties. Six months after, I had bought a second one, and then within one year of graduating and working for this company, it was a startup. Uh, so the company, you know, we went through the financial crisis. So obviously, uh, being startup mode. They cut, uh, they cut about 45% of their, the workforce, including me. So I was left without a job one year in. And then I decided to attend this free seminar, which was called uh, um, you know, uh, Millionaire Mind. Uh, and, and I was hooked on by the title of millionaire. I was way far from that perspective back in, in those days. So, and having lost a job, having you know, no money left. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, so I'll go to this. Uh, and the, the whole the whole pitch was really about um, you know, money consciousness and the emotional part of it. And I decided to this was a, this was a really switching point. I decided to take out my credit card and pay for this, I think it was twelve or fifteen thousand dollars program uh, which I did have <laughs> in money and invest in personal development uh, for all these courses and everything else in the states and, and all over. And that changed my life. I can tell you right now that changed my life. And here's what I've learned. And I'd like to share this with the listeners. I've shared a formula that to me has, has made a difference. And this is the formula. It is your thoughts determines your feelings. Your feelings determines your actions and your actions equals your results. Thoughts Determines your feelings, feelings determine your action, which equals your results. So in other words, if you're looking for a result, you don't focus on the action or the feeling, you focus on the thought first. And I had to really work on the thought because I had a lot of emotional baggage. So I'm like, okay, so, and and uh, I worked on this. And what I have discovered over the years is that if you continue to repeat this formula and you accumulate results so result after result after result, it becomes a habit. And your habits determine my destiny. And that's what I was after. I was after destiny, but I didn't know how to get there. And I realized that the formula to get to destiny was to get the habits. I get the habits by getting repeated results. I get the repeated results by getting repeated actions. And my repeated actions happens only because of my thoughts and feelings behind those actions. So... Um, I had the opportunity to work through those two, um, aspects, uh, and personal development courses. And, uh, I can say that that has been the catalyst for me at this point.
0: That's brilliant, by the way. Thanks for sharing that. Is this part of, you know, what you just kind of said there, what you said there, what you stated, is that become part of, you know, your day-to-day thought process? Do you stay grounded in that or do you just it's now become the way of life for you, the way of decision-making, the way of looking at what what you've got going on?
1: Uh, It has become uh, unconscious competence. So in other words, it's now in my subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. But it took many, many years. It took about uh, two years of focused effort to really focus on my thoughts and my feelings about taking actions, making the hard calls, putting some money on the table, um, hiring people, firing people, you know, uh, tough decisions in, in whatever field. And, and it took a lot of time until there were so many results, positive results as a matter of taking the thoughts and the feelings and doing the actions that I said, this is a formula that works. So it, it became natural, but it took a lot of time.
0: You know, I'm currently, I've just finished, I think I've probably read it a couple of times. I've listened to it on audio, a book called. Extreme Ownership by Jocko uh, Wilnick. and you know he's a former Navy SEAL. You know he's intense, like to the nth degree. Great, great, great book. Has a podcast as well around Extreme Ownership, and and in your world, having done this work, and and this may sound like a digression, somewhat, you know, from the conversation around real estate and how you've achieved. And we're going to get there, but I think it's so important to understand that. Those individuals who have success, the journey to get there isn't just about good luck and lots of money and or you know the ability to sell. It's it's really about developing who you are. You know, totally. beyond, beyond what you beyond what you do, we have to consider who we're being, and who we're being is actually what we gain is actually a reflection of who we're being, and whatever's going on in our life, good, bad, and different, is totally a reflection of who we're being. So when you own that part of it, it really makes you step back and go, okay, what have I got going on and how do I dig into whatever thoughts I'm having that are creating whatever feelings that are moving me forward in action or stopping me from being in action? I mean, there's the whole thought process around that. When you look at what you've got going on in business now, the decision-making process that you have, I often see people who take no ownership and don't hold themselves responsible for anything. They're always a victim of something. They're always blaming somebody for something. Yet in the, in the, in the world of extreme ownership, nothing is somebody else's fault. We're a victim to no one. What's your view of that? Because you've done the work, you you've, you're enjoying some great success. That's not to say it isn't without a lot of challenges. This is before we got on, on the air here, we were actually talking about some challenges that we're, V Troopers are facing, but, you know, it's not without challenges. So, in your world, you know, around owning decision-making, what is, what's your view of that? You know, I have a, don't complain, don't blame, don't complain. It's kind of become one of my mantras. And, and where are you at with that, Nick?
1: I, I totally agree. Uh, if, if you don't own the results, uh, then you can't own the destiny. Uh, and to me, it goes back to the f- formula. So the results is simply just a matter of taking the right actions and having the right feelings. So, And then the right thoughts, you have to have extreme ownership using your words to be able to get to where you want to go, because if you don't, then nobody else is going to get you there. You have to get yourself there uh, with the help of other people, but you know, you need to be clear as to uh, what is required. And listen, if there's hurdles and, and challenges along the way, that is the way it's, it is through the challenges that you will get there. If you're not getting any challenges, you will not get there. So each time I have a challenge, I cry for a day. And then the next day I get a big smile and say, I'm getting closer. And then I keep going.
0: I always go back to, you know, we, we want it to be easy and we, we want it to go, well, no, I, I, I shouldn't have these challenges <laughs> and, it's, and it's just such bullshit because ultimately it's like, I always, I always can, I always go back to the kind of the reference of the gym, you know, if you want to get stronger you have to lift more weight and totally. from going from, you know, hundred pounds or whatever the number is to 105 pounds, it's uncomfortable. It's painful. Sometimes it's a struggle. You have to do it. And soon you are lifting 105, Totally, but it, you have to go through that challenge. And, and, and so there's, there's just a relatedness. It's a way to kind of give it a context for the challenges we face. And some of the challenges that we face, as you and I were saying, man, oh man, they can be big, they can be overwhelming. And in fact, you know, when you go to lift that weight, it could, uh, it could crush you and you have to be prepared to understand that part of it as well.
1: You know, I, I help a lot of uh, people, I coach a lot of people in real estate and, and I tell them and I purposely tell them, it says, look for opportunities for you to be challenged and practice persistence. Uh, because it is through this persistence that uh, you push through and, and get to the result that you're looking for. It's not easy. Nothing is given on a silver platter. So, um, you know, going back to uh, a lot of your podcasts with uh, Alan Kahn, which says, you know, it's the spiritual aspect, spiritual being. This is what it is. It's true. In in my perspective, anyway. And you have to work on that. You have to see yourself as a, a limitless opportunity. And, and all you got to do is just push through and have the persistence. to to get to the end. If you don't quit, uh, then you're, you're going to get there. So that's really my, my recommendation.
0: Alan Kahn. And I've spent lots of time with Alan Kahn and, you know, he always comes up with some, some good ones. And and I remember he he asked me and how quickly I digress. He asked me one day, you know, who are you? And, and it was like, I go, well, I'm and he, and he kept going back. He goes, no, who are you? And, and it was like, what I finally got to with all of it, and with his his coaching and his help, and one of the things that I kind of often get into is I am no thing in a field of opportunities, and that opens up a whole different view, perspective, energetically, universally. Whether you believe it or not, is is really that's the space that I that I go to and play in when I'm really faced with stuff.
1: Well, I, I, I I'll you know I'll say that I I totally subscribe to that view as well. Um, if it wasn't for that view, I think I, ha- I would have given up a long time ago. So, uh, if you don't have a similar view of having a lot of opportunities and, and having being limitless in, in some extent, then I, I think I think you're selling yourself short to, uh, to a certain extent. So, to me, that perspective from Alan Kahn works for me. I, you know, I've I've used that or. I've experienced that through uh, different different formats uh, in the personal development journeys that I took way back in the days, but it is, it is the catalyst. It is the formula uh, to open up the perspective and open up um, your journey for success.
0: Now talking about success, Nick, how do you define success? I mean, you're, you're an accomplished real estate investor to the degree you are, and you continue to grow your business, your portfolio, your expertise. Do you have a definition for success for yourself? I do. uh,
1: And it is, um, it's quite, again, uh, esoteric. So it is the closing of the gap between who I am today and who I am supposed to be. So when I see that I'm closing that gap from my real ultimate potential of who I can truly be, fully be, and I'm moving forward in that direction, to me, that is ultimate success. Uh, because it covers so many things of, you know, family, relationships, uh, health, uh, wealth, you know, all, all those aspects. So for me, it's, it's closing that gap between the future, future me, the, the full potential of me and and where I am today.
0: I love that. I think that's, that's great. And, and you shone a light on a couple of things that it isn't just about real estate. It just, it isn't just about business. It is all aspects of our life, you know, familial and health and vocation and all of the things that really encompass a life, you know, all of the pillars of life, you know, spiritual, emotional, mental, I mean, it's all part of it. And so it's a very holistic view of who you're going to be in that container or in those containers. Now, let me ask you this question. Are you consciously creating and being aware and developing who you're being? In other words, Are you you know what are you reading? Are you are you into meditation? Do you have a a practice of journaling? What what's some of your practices to keep you grounded and thoughtful about and mindful about who you're being, Nick?
1: Yeah, so that's an an excellent question, and uh, so the process for me is really about uh, analyzing uh, totally being conscious about who I am and how I'm acting and and how I'm responding. And how I'm behaving is probably the number one. It's just, you know, having the consciousness of observing my own being, my own mental responsiveness most of the time, you know, looking at the thoughts. And part of my development is to continually read. I'm a slow reader because I'm I'm so left brain with uh with the capability of you know working through the numbers. Uh, but I continually read. And so my my, my process around reading is I generally want, read one business book. Once I'm done with that, I read one real estate book. And when I'm done with that, I read one personal development book. And then I repeat the cycle. And then so this makes me a little bit sharper on the business, makes me a little bit sharper on the real estate, makes me a little bit sharper on the personal side.
0: That process, that's the engineer showing up in you. It's, and, it's, and I, it's, it's brilliant. It's <laughs> brilliant. I love that. I'm actually a little envious of that. Uh, that degree of thinking, uh, because my brain doesn't quite fit that way. I mean, it does, but to maybe a slightly different degree. So tell me a little bit about your, you know, let's get back to the real estate and what you've been doing in your real estate, Nick, because you bought the property, you bought that first property, uh, a little bit of money down because it was your uh, principal residence. You then went on to rent it. Tell me what was next for you on your real estate journey. I'd like to, I'm, I'm interested because I don't recall when you became a member of the rain community so give me a little bit about what some of your next steps were in the world of real estate
1: yeah yeah so in 2008 i had bought the first condo which was in a condo building um and then uh six months later my my friend uh you know a university uh friend uh was living in the in the same condo building and said hey there's a sign uh on the condo door." Um, across from me in my hall saying that, you know, it's a foreclosure since so you just bought a, a condo at this in this building that he was living in. So ended up looking at it and it was, you know, uh, about 15% lower price than what I had paid for the previous one. So it says, well, I just bought this similar one, uh, almost identical uh, six months before. Why don't we try and buy this one? This one's 15% off. It's on sale. Uh, so I didn't have any money at that point again. Uh, so we ended up using his parents provide the down payment, uh, and, uh, and with, as a second mortgage, him and I bought it and we, you know, renovated it, rented it out, worked out well. And then about eight months later, bought another one. And then about 10 months later, I bought two and then about 10 months or nine months after that, I bought a a block of townhouses four. and I can see that that block of townhouse, um, was a definitely big lesson in many different aspects. And uh, the lesson was: is uh, I, w- I had an investor lined up to uh, provide the the deposit money to buy it, and then at the eleventh, so I had to waive all my conditions at the eleventh hour, he decided to not fund the project.
0: Ouch. Yeah,
1: and uh, I had no I had no more capital. I had deposits. I only had my deposits in, and I had nothing left. Maybe a thousand bucks left in my name, and I was fully committed. And I ended up going back to my agent. Said I can't close. And the agent worked through the seller's agent. And then the, the sellers who I didn't know at the time was a group of investors who owned those uh, blocks. And I ended up getting uh, secondary financing from them as a last minute, completely out of the blue, lucky strike, I would have to say, uh, to be able to close on those properties. Uh, they didn't come without a challenge, uh, but it, it did allow to, to close. And uh, those four properties almost made me go bankrupt about a year later. And uh, that was certainly a big lesson because uh, I learned that uh, don't buy, don't close four properties which you can't cash flow uh, just before uh, winter comes along because nobody's moving. So I was vacant on those four properties uh, for a long amount of time. And they, they weren't completely finished uh, and ready to rent when I closed, so I ha- it required more money as well. So, anyways, the short answer is is that uh, they almost uh, financially ruined me. I, I almost lost everything else that, ha- that I had acquired at that point, and I had to sell off two to be able to save the rest. And there was this one night, and for me to be able to get through this, because I, I knew how to swing a hammer, there was this one night where I was sleeping on the floors. Of those rental properties to try and get them ready, fixed up to have them rented. This one night, I was, you know, I, 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 I don't remember if I was actually crying, but I felt like I was crying. And I'm like, I will, and, and this me talking to myself, and, and the conversation was, I will not let this challenge define me. And when you could feel that in your body, in your soul, whatever happened, I, I don't really remember um, but uh, it just gave the, the, the emotional strength to push through even though I was way over leveraged on these ones, I pushed through and, and still you know survived and, and got out of the, uh, of this hole if you could say that because of the decision. It was only because of a decision. And that went back to the formula of your thoughts and feelings. Uh, And today I sold those properties this year, two out of the four that I kept for 10 years, nine years, and they've done very well. So
0: back a little bit to the esoteric part of where we talked about a conversation. It lives in the decision, you know, to to your point, it lives in the decision and it really is a decision. And then you have to literally let things show up. And once you release the fear, or or not even that's not even the fear that you commit. It is a commitment. That's what it is. Once you just commit, and everything else is behind that. It's like go, and then all of a sudden things start to show up, sometimes miraculously, and and it's really really powerful. And and so thanks for sharing that part of it, and and certainly the the you know the passion that you have or the belief is very powerful and obvious in what you shared there, Nick. I want to go back a little bit. I don't want to step over because you talked about, I bought this and then I did this. You know, you, you had your, I think it was roommate and fought, or a friend, father lent you down payment, all of those things. But here's what I know o- over the years of working with many real estate investors and many individuals just getting started in the world of real estate investing is the first thing they say is, well, I have no money. How do I raise capital? How do I get a joint venture partner? You said it, you you know, you were talking about capital and I bought this and I bought this and I bought this. My first question is, okay, so where's the money coming from? I'm assuming from an investor, a joint venture partner of some sort, or did you literally have that money in your bank account?
1: No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I wish I did at some points, but uh, the, the honest truth is I, I didn't have that money in my bank account. One thing I did have was the determination to see it through. And, you know, uh, Tony Robbins says, says it well, says your, your biggest resources is your resourcefulness. Uh, so I worked on my resourcefulness and for me to be able to close on those properties. So the, the short answer is, is that within four years, I had bought about 12 properties.
0: How did you even know that raising capital as in a joint venture was an option? Like, where did you learn that? Is that all part of Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Were you just hanging out with the right people? How did that show up? Uh, good question.
1: Uh, I hadn't joined rain at that point. So it was really association with the right people, association with the right people, people who believed in the journey uh, I, I was taking on and, and, believed in the track record I, I was putting forward in terms of acquisition, purchase price, renovation, leasing, and what they were seeing in terms of results and people who were believing that. So it, I, I mean, for, for some of the people that I, that I coach, I say them, that there's only three things that you need to be able to make a real estate deal. You need the deal, you need the money, and you need the people. And the most important, by far, I would say, ten times more important than all the other uh, than the other two, is you need to get the right deal. If you have the right deal first, the money will show up. And quite honestly, for the first twelve properties, I never had the money lined up uh, when I signed the paper. And I always had the deal first, and then I simply just went back to everybody I knew as much as I can to say, you know, here's what I have. Do you know, anybody who is interested? I never asked them direct. I, I don't know if I had, didn't have the, the guts or what, but I always asked them indirectly. See, do you know anybody who would be interested in something like this? And quite honestly, always somebody did at some point. And you know, the story about the four townhouses, four block of townhouses where at the 11th hour, the person said yes. And then, and then decided to say no at the, you know, at midnight, when the closing happened, uh, the the new investors, which were the seller, provided the financing to close. So I never had the money lined up. I always focused on the deal first. And uh, you know, uh, when I work with people, I simply say, just find the best deal possible out there. And to know what the best deal is, is you need to do your you need to do your research to know what what is a good deal. So that's why the rank community uh, and all the real estate books are, are so important to know what is a good property to be
0: well, it also puts you in an environment of like-minded individuals who are you know, having similar experiences. Some of them are challenged more or not having the same results or getting the same results, but there's always somebody within the community that has done something, has had the experience, is willing to share what they know. And it, it really is immersing yourself in an environment where conversations are had Tidbits are shared, tips are picked up. You know, I I've, I can't even count how many times I've been part of a conversation, just standing there having a chat about what's going on in people's lives and what they're sharing is I'm is something that I'm learning about. I'm going, wow, I didn't even know that. Like, it's there's so much of that. But you have to put yourself in that environment. You can't you can't do that in a in a silo or in a bubble or uh, by not surrounding and creating the environment for yourself to actually learn and succeed uh, amongst others who are doing the same. You you totally
1: have to be in the right environment. You have to be surrounded with the uh, with the right people. Listen, if you're a cat and you're hanging out with a uh, you know with a lot of dogs, over time you're going to figure a dog. So uh, you got to be with the right people for sure. That is that is so key.
0: And it's intentional too. You 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 know an environment. Sometimes it does. You know find you know sometimes you find yourself in an environment that's really clicking and it really works for you. But if you're not, then you have to define what that environment needs to be. You have to actually seek it and intentionally step into it and be, become and set yourself up into that environment. And, and that's a conscious thing. I
1: would also say to, to reach out to people who are way more ahead of you. you you'll be surprised at how open these people are. So uh, that, that has worked for me in, in, in many, many aspects. So reach out to good, successful people.
0: Now you actually shared with the townhouse deal when at the 11th hour it came off. And I think this is an important note, and I love that we, when we get into these conversations, you know, the, the real true value I believe in this podcast and with my guests is the actual learning that goes along with it, the experience of others. We're actually part of creating an environment that people are listening to and and learning from. So when you were into that, you know, when you talked about the townhouse, the guy pulls the the shoot on the investment capital at the eleventh hour. You reached out to your realtor. who I'm assuming he was quite experienced because he then was able to kind of go back listing realtor. They had conversation. It sounds like he was pretty uh, critical in that, that process of, of saving that deal.
1: Uh, the, my buying a realtor wasn't so much, but the seller's realtor was really savvy. And sure. so that would really save the, the deal. So he, here's the, here's the, in, you know, here's the lucky strike out of all of this. I ended up closing the properties with the seller with, the you know, sellers as, uh, as private financing. And still to this day, there were three investors. One of the three investors is still an investor with, uh, with me on multiple projects. So it, it's totally out of the blue. So you have to take those chances to put it on the line and, and see what happens. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes is uh, your willingness to fail will determine your ability to succeed. So you have to be willing to fail in order to succeed. So in other words, the obstacle is the way. <laughs> so that's why I go back to this. It's so it's so critical. Uh, and uh, I, I don't think there's any other way. I haven't found any other way. If there was an easy way, I, I hope I would have found it by now. But uh, uh, I guess I'm unlucky that way. I, I've only found a struggling, hard, difficult way to get there.
0: <laughs> you know, it is that willingness to fail. You have to be willing to fail. And and I, you know, I'm 60 plus years old now, and I, I have to say, Nick, is that I've interviewed many young men, and to me, you're still a young man, by the way, which you are. And and I'm I'm really always impressed. Number one, but some kind a little bit i go wow why didn't i get this lesson earlier you know the, because we we play there's a there's a different way to play the game of business and if you're always on if you're always playing defense you are going to grow perhaps but it's going to be slow and you can't be in the world of defense you got to make those plays you got to be offensive and you have to be willing to know that you know, you're going to chuck a ball, or whatever analogy or metaphor you want to use, and sometimes you're not going to complete the pass, and you will, in fact, fail. And but you have to be willing to go there, and you have to be willing to throw the ball.
1: I definitely have my share of uh, quote unquote failures, which are really just you know getting closer to to the right deal to the right property. So, I mean, I'll, I'll share I'll share a very I'll share two two good failures. Uh, I think will probably give. Had the listeners some perspective. Uh, in 2015, I had made a commitment to myself. This is I will not buy another property if it's not a multifamily property. And 2015, so I was I think I had just turned 30 at that point, and I had you know a, a good track record of buying properties, renting them out, managing them, uh, and and having that portfolio grow. But I didn't have the capital to get into multifamily. Uh, and but I had made a decision and a unrevocable commitment to get to the multifamily stage at whatever price, whatever it took. uh, And I wasn't going to change my mind. And it took me about a year and a half of trying offers and falling through. And then there was this one deal, which I thought was going to happen. I had worked 11 months on it, and then it fell through at the last minute again. And I was so distraughted by the fact that I had worked almost a year and it didn't go through. And then one week after, after making the decisions, I'm not changing my direction. I'm staying with this one week after there's a deal that came through. And that was the first deal that uh, allowed me to move into multifamily. I, I bought it with almost no money down ended up being a tremendous financial success in that regards. And that just became the catalyst for everything else. So the, my willingness to fail, over and over for a year and a half was the outcome, was the solution to be able to get to the multifamily stage. And now that opened up, you know, the, the rest, the rest is history as I say.
0: You know, my wife, Stephanie is an Olympic class coach, performance coach, and has been in this game of sports forever. And her philosophy is really simple. Decide, decide, decide. Your decision only ever leads to the next decision. And it's just decide, 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 decide. It's, you know, and 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 it's easy to say, it's certainly more difficult to apply. And it doesn't mean, you know, go for broke. It doesn't mean, you know, not being thoughtful and and calculated and mindful. It just means the decision is there. You know, and, uh, Jean-Guy Francoeur, who is our chief growth officer and a, and a good friend, when he was on the podcast, we actually had that discussion, which is he's built... To, you know, he'll jump out of the plane and then build the parachute on the way down. But the decision is I'm going, you know, I've got enough information. I'm going to jump. I believe and I will. And I'm going to build the parachute on the way down because one decision just leads to the next decision. And it's such a mindset. It is so powerful if you can take it and do that. Decide, decide, decide. So, that's really what you're doing you're, you, yeah, in, totally. your, in your decision and your commitment. You're, you know, sometimes you're jumping out of the airplane and going, I got to build the chute before I hit the ground.
1: I, I think that's the right, that, that has worked for me. I, I think I'm very similar in, in that perspective and that mindset as uh, Jean-Guy. Uh, I think like over the years, I've realized that if 70% of the information I have in front of me is positive. In other words, the number seems to look good. I don't have all the info right now. The end result seems to be good. At 70%, I generally make the decision to either move forward and commit or step back and say, this is not for me. So I never have 100% of all the information uh, before I make a full-on commitment or decide to completely drop it off. And then what I've realized is that if it's 70% good, it generally ends up being close to hundred percent good as you continue and move forward and you do the closing and then you do what you plan on doing. So I, I don't go and say there's a 50, 50 chance or there's a 40, 60 chance of succeeding. I, you know, you have to do the work. You have to have the knowledge. You have to do the work to be able to get to the point where you say, okay, I'm comfortable with the risk, but the rewards are so great that you make a decision and then you, you figure out the rest on, on your way there. So very
0: similar. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you've got going in in your real estate world now. You've done a number of multifamily residential. I I believe you've done some development stuff too, some new build stuff. Tell me a little bit about what you're you got in the churn and of what you're doing right now, Nick.
1: Yeah. So we have. uh, So we finished. uh, So we've done five buildings uh so far and we uh have right now in site plan uh control to build a, a 34 unit apartment building in ottawa west end of ottawa so it's a piece of land uh was found which is a quite sizable piece of land and it required rezoning so that was the opportunity right there it was to the opportunity to rezone the land to be able to go to higher density and and make profit on the land and then the rest is just uh you know the cost to be able to build the building so that's in the works now it should start. Uh, Uh, either at the end of this year or just early next year. There was uh, an acquisition for uh, an existing 34-unit building that, uh, quite honestly, was a really big uh, lesson. So uh, it was a several-million-dollar several uh, purchase price property. Um, And throughout the process, we did the diligence. I was happy with uh, what the end result was going to be. And closing was supposed to happen... Two weeks ago, July seven, uh, July second, and um, for you know a bunch of reasons, uh, closing could not happen July second, and we asked for a one day extension, closing July third, and the seller, which I know personally, is a very very savvy business person, and decided to not extend the closing by one day to close this very big, you know, multi million dollar property. And the result is two weeks later <laughs> today, uh, the, the deal uh, didn't go through. And uh, so as a result of this, there's uh, a lot of deposit money, a lot of diligence money that is going to be lost um, and uh, probably close to the tune of six figures. But the outcome uh, was going to be so great uh, that it would have been uh, you know a 10 to 1 gain if it, it was, was to, to go forward. So, uh, but you know, that's one of the other projects. Another one is we're looking at another piece of land an acre and a half to build a 50 unit building. And then it's, you know, we're just talking about uh, the one five years ago where, you know, I decided to commit to multifamily. So once I knew earlier this week on Monday, two days ago, that the large building wasn't going to go through, they weren't going to revive the deal. I decided to, you know, uh, lick my wounds, and then the next day, come back to the office. Say, okay, what's the lesson here, and what can we do better? And to do better, this, that same day, an agent called me to say, "Hey, I have this deal. Uh, it's a prime location in downtown Ottawa, uh, and I can. it, it looks like I'll, I, I should be able to buy it, you know, fifty cents or f- probably sixty cents on the dollar." The sellers uh, are an embassy here in Ottawa, and they they they've moved out, and the building has been vacant, and they're willing to sell uh, if I can close really quickly. So uh, again, another, you know, another large buildings and, and buying, you know, 50 or 60 cents on the dollar are the opportunities that come about. So don't be afraid to lose out on one that I thought was going to be a, a, you know, a good game changer for another one that comes the next week, literally the next week and comes along that will make the same level of profits and, uh, and progress. So uh, to you know, that's a long way to say you know, what, what, what we're working on. But essentially, we're working between fifty to uh, call it sixty units per year.
0: Now, in, on this deal that went south uh, because of the one day difference, a uh, couple questions in that. You know, when you look at the fact that you know the seller, yes, piss you off? Totally. Yeah. So. Totally.
1: I was frustrated. I was really, really frustrated. So, so agents were frustrated. Agents were frustrated. Lawyers were frustrated. Everybody was frustrated.
0: Will you do business with this guy again? Yes. So, what yes. part? Okay. So, let's just go. Th- this is totally, you know, you know, sidebar. But you know, as, <laughs> as as you're examining as you're examining the results, and I and I and because I'm in Ottawa, kind of every quarter, you know, I get little snippets of what was going on, and I know that. Tony was part of, you know, supporting you in, in actually getting the deal moved forward at the time. And and that's really all I know. I know that you felt really confident about it at the time. So now the deal goes south, uh, there's capital lost. What part of that do you own?
1: A hundred percent, a hundred percent ownership. And that was the day, you know, the, the day that I, that I knew he fell apart and he didn't want to extend. I, uh, you know, I, I, I felt like a, a train wreck. And the next day I'm like, I own hundred percent of this outcome. So what do I need to learn from this? And what would you have done different?
0: Anything that's right in front of you right now that you would have said, I, I totally stepped over this or I, I missed it. I ignored it. I pretended not to know.
1: No, not really. So the, 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 what took the long duration is, uh, you know, I had some private financing lined up and then a uh, first mortgage bank. And so the, the the first bank and the second lender knew about you know every everything's open uh, and on the table, but um you know I had an agreement with the first mortgage lender, which was okay. I had an agreement with the second mortgage lender, which was okay, but between the two lenders they didn't agree on terms, and it's with between those two people that it just took a little bit longer than than expected to be able to get that uh result. And so that pushed the lawyer aspect. And because it's a big deal, it takes forever to get those uh, documents through. And that resulted in this. So, so, you know, I heard way back in the days, uh, somebody told me, says, a good deal with bad financing is a bad deal. But I haven't really experienced that to that degree until probably this last couple of weeks. You know, the deal was great. A lot of profit, a lot of money uh, to be made. My financing with the first bank was great. My, my financing with the second bank was great, but the terms between them didn't line up for between the lawyers. So it, it ended up, you know, if you were to put this uh, under one label, it's just, you know, it ended up being bad financing in total, which uh, caused delays, which caused uh, to not close on the day of. So what would I do different? Uh, get proper financing uh, figured out way
0: before. You'd drive it way harder drive it way
1: harder i was def- i was trying to push a round peg in a square hole uh, and it probably would have been better to try and find uh, a square peg as opposed to try and get a round peg in a square hole
0: now just out of curiosity do you know why the vendor pulled the deal off why did he take advantage of that 24 hours what was what was behind that do you know
1: his rents were going up month by month with his own natural turnover which i knew and I saw this as an opportunity to reposition a great property in a transitioning area, which is some of the stuff I look for. So just with his natural building turnover, his rents were going up about 5% within the beginning of the year to, you know, to now. So he's like, well, you know, if my rents are up, my income is up, my value is now high. Totally. So he was asking for, he was asking for more money now. So he, in fact, he asked me to say, Nick, if you want this deal, it's just give me uh, a much higher price and give me a quarter million dollar non-refundable deposit i was okay with the deposit but i was not okay to pay more because i was asking for one day and um you know uh, he decided otherwise and ended up getting a, another offer uh, you know a, a couple of weeks later but,
0: well that, but that's an interesting i want yeah, this is actually quite an interesting scenario right now when you look up back on it what you know you push the one day Pissed you off about that he would extend one day, but I mean, let's face it. Uh, you know he saw that opportunity. You know he's he, when you look at cap rates, when you start looking at valuation of a business, your rents are going up. I mean, the the numbers get big, and he's he's going. Am I going to walk away from a couple million bucks? Here's my window of opportunity to actually pick that slack up, and but okay. So back to you. When he came back at that new price, would it have still been a reasonable deal?
1: Uh, you know, if, if I was to average it out over many, 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 many years, probably it would have been okay. In the moment in time, I thought wrongfully now, I thought that one day, 24 hours, uh, would have been okay. Um, and you know, these deal takes months and months and months to line up because financing is, is long and painful and due diligence is, you know, um, you know, three, four months. So I thought that he was not gonna get anybody else to come and close the next day, but um I guess there are people waiting in on the sidelines. Um and uh he decided not to fall forward and not to not to follow through. So
0: Mm, tough one. Tough one. (laughs) I can feel for you. I mean that's a tough one. Gosh. That's a tough one. Yeah.
1: My 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 lesson is, you know, I, I cried for a day or so and then uh then, the ne- then after i gone over the emotional uh, hurt, if I could say that, I'm like, okay, I'm really getting – now I'm really getting close to the next one.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> <got> like, <laughs> that means there's something huge, really big coming down the pipe.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's funny how it goes. But anyways, you know, we have other projects uh, that are still in the works for the other you
0: know, 34 unit buildings.
1: So um, at the end of the day, it's not changing the direction of the boat. It's just, you know, it's just uh, an iceberg that you have to contour to get to the end. So
0: so in the world of real estate investing, and, and, and you've mentioned that you've either guided or coached other individuals, was there some common things that you see, I'm going to say new investors, you know, newer investors or less experienced investors, what are some of the things that you commonly see get in the way of people taking action?
1: Yeah. So the number one is definitely fear. Uh, and the fear is because of fear of the unknown. Uh, and quite honestly, uh, for those that get hung, hung up on that, and I definitely, you know, I'm definitely in that uh, box as well to, to my degree. And I'm sure everybody has their own you know, comfort zone, comfort level. You have to get over that. And there is no easy way than the um, than going through the emotional pain of going through it and looking back and saying, this was not that bad. So it goes back to the process of your thoughts, feelings, actions, results. So I simply say to people, says, listen, find a deal. Just find a deal. It costs $0 to find a deal, get it committed. And then I tell them, I, I, uh, I tell them, says, I will help you find the money. And quite honestly, they find it on, on, on their own way. Like they find them, but I give them the confidence to say this won't be a block because it never has been for me. And if it's the right deal and obviously and I'll hop them through to make sure it is the deal always show the money always shows up. So I would say to people who have difficulty getting started, it's just find the right deal. And if you go to somebody who has experience of real estate, and and if they're getting excited about it, then you know you have something good. If they're not getting excited, then it's uh, it may be a bit of a challenge.
0: Yeah, I, I you know it's interesting that that's often a question that I'm given by investors, rain members, is you know it's almost like a what's first the chicken or the egg, you know, and I mean both work in terms of often investors are investing in the individual. I'm sure at this point in, in your kind of real estate life is that there's probably some people that are sitting on the sidelines and said, Nick, I'm ready to put in capital. Anytime you find a deal, just let me know. And they've, they're actually probably coming to you because you've now established your track record. They are knowing you for who you are. But when you started out, you, you chose the path called, I'm going to find an amazing deal that people are going to want to get in because that's, that's a fundamental change and shift an attitude because generally or often those individuals with capital either don't have the time, the experience, the desire to go out and find those deals. I mean, anybody can go on MLS, find a realtor and go find a deal, but to really find a a a great deal where there's a, a good and powerful upside for for all parties takes effort. You gotta, you know, you gotta kiss a lot of frogs to find that prince, right? So ultimately, oh, I'm speaking to you in Ottawa. So not <laughs> totally. totally. It's, it's definitely a dig on me for sure. I get it. <laughs> there was a fairy tale. Don't worry, yeah, don't forget. Exactly. Uh, that's so funny. Anyways, the point is, is that it takes a lot of work to actually find those deals. So when you do it, you're doing something that the person with capital isn't prepared to do or isn't even equipped to do.
1: There, There's way more money out there than people think. There's millions, billions, and trillions uh, amounts of dollars available, and quite honestly, you know, if you find a good deal and you're able to articulate, you know, half hazardly uh, your deal, most people who know what to look for into a, a deal or project w- would move forward with it if they trust you, if they trust you and like you, and it's a good deal, they'll make sure that their capital is secured, and then they should move forward. That, that's what happened with me. I never had the the money lined up initially. I always had a good deal, and and I was able to convey that this was right, and they trusted me to to get to the end.
0: I think there's a there's a part of it when we talk about that conversation too, because these are just lessons, right? These are just sharing of learnings. But you also show up as credible, even if you're you know maybe not as confident as you know you're not feeling as confident, but you still show up in a confident way. You're well thought out. You're well spoken. You intentionally show up a certain way. You are well-dressed, you present yourself in a really credible way, which is all part of it as well. It's not, you know, there's, there is a, a component of it that how you show up and who you're being is also giving the investor, the capital partner is generating confidence for them in you as well, because a deal aside, can you actually, you know, are you credible? Do they feel that you can pull this deal off? And, and, and that's part of what you, you've learned as well.
1: People, so I, I say that I will only work with people I completely and utterly trust in life. That's it. I don't care if you have all the dollar you want to throw at a project or something. If I, if I don't like you and I don't trust you, I'm not interested. So I'm thinking that other people from the other side of the table, they're looking at me and they're looking at you and they're looking at all these different opportunities. Say, I will, I'm will. i sure they're asking themselves the same thing. Just who, who can I trust to do the right thing? And, and to me, this this is how I have to show up in my day to day, but also with investors, also with contractors, also with people who work with me, the managers, the tenants, everybody. And, and being that trusting person, in other words, accountability, ownership, makes people confident in your character first. And, and if people believe you have right integrity, Right honesty. You will make mistakes. That's okay. If they believe and trust in you, you will be successful at finding the money. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. It's not even a hope or or, or a statistic. It's guaranteed. If you have the right deal and you're the right person, I, I have a philosophy. Is and, and, and I'd like to share this: the right deal with the right people always gets funded. The right deal with the right people always gets funded it ha- from and even from deals that i haven't been involved in from other people i've looked at and i'm like you know what i would be an investor with them because i trust them and this is a good deal it, it this is the way of business and that's what the banks do when they're lending you money This is what private investors do when they're lending you or, or being a joint venture or being a partner this is how it is this is it's a people's business and the process is finding the deal first, being the right person, the right character, the right honesty, the right integrity. And then the money shows up uh, and with having the team, the people to be able to carry through.
0: Yeah, so true and so well said. So thanks for that. I mean, it's so clear You know, when you're speaking with somebody like yourself who does it, is doing it, has been in the trenches, has learned from it. And it's a great share. Tell me something, Nick. in rain, we often talk about our beliefs and and the the why we are doing what we 're doing, so in your case, I know that you're a relatively new dad, and what is your why? Why are you driving this hard in business and in real estate and you know are you purpose driven in that in that way I am uh, initially
1: uh, a lot of the drive uh, the emotional drive was because of the uh, you know, uh, challenging uh, childhood and, and the emotional baggage. So it was it was the fear of going back to those tough times. And, and, and over time, uh, it changed to be more of a contribution to the people and, and able to give back. Uh, the way that I can give back is by being able to build buildings that people want to live in and also helping others showing the way that this is how it's done. I have not met, and, and, and please, if there's somebody out there that, that, that does this, I have not been able to meet somebody that does really large projects that is willing to coach somebody who is in the lower ranks going to that level. Uh, they're generally really focused on their business. They're generally very big businesses at this point. And so I want to be that person that is going to be at, at that point at certain times and help everybody pull people up in the real estate side, uh, to be able to see and do how it's done. Uh, so that's part of the contribution. I know I can give back. And obviously, you know, the financial aspect is, is, is one way as well to, to help in, in, in that regards help the you know charities and, and communities and everything else.
0: So Nick, The time has really flown by here, but we do, I do have to start to wind down a little bit. Given that there's a lot of real estate investors, business owners, people who are, you know, really listening to say, I want to move forward in my life. You've shared a lot of your lessons, a lot of great advice and thought processes in the world of real estate. Is there anything before we start to wind this down that you want to make sure that is said? Do you have anything that you need to say out loud and and want to share?
1: Yeah, I I think a lot of where I am today uh, comes as a result of two things, two thought processes that came about over a period of struggles and trying and doing. So, you know, when when people ask a little bit about my my journey, I say that I've been successful at losing my money at everything except for real estate. Mm. And, and the result of this, why well, I've been successful, you know, I've invested in the States, I've invested in, you know, uh, gold and bonds, stock market, real estate, I invest in businesses, uh, and I've been successful at losing my, uh, you know, my money in all those fields, except for real estate. And the reason and the process and the principles I've distilled out of those hard lessons is the following. And it's, it's a, it's a methodology of thinking that uh, should help people think through opportunities that are, that are being presented. Today, I will only invest in stuff that generates income. If you stock stocking gold, I'm done. Well, for me anyways. So if it doesn't generate income, I'm not investing in it. And the second thing is that criteria number one. Criterion number two is I will only invest in something where I have uh, some control. And I want to have some control because I want to control the income. And if I can control the income, I can control the value. And I only got to invest in something where I have some leverage. Leverage is great if you can control the income. Leverage is difficult or problematic if, if you can't control the income. And the last thing is only invest in stuff that is tax efficient. So real estate is definitely one of those fields and businesses is also one of those fields as well. So, I mean, this was over multiple investments in various fields where I realized, you know, if it doesn't create income, if I don't have control over it, if it doesn't have great leverage to be able to borrow for it uh, and be tax efficient, I'm, I'm I'm not an investor. So that was probably the first investment principle. Uh, that I put forward for myself to make investment decisions.
0: I mean that goes back to Kiyosaki one hundred and one. If it doesn't generate income, it's a liability, not an asset. Gold is great, you know. It's it's, but it doesn't generate income. So you know, it, it, people call it an asset, and it is. By the way, I mean it's like capital. It's it's usable in that way. But if you're investing in things that aren't generating income, you have to really consider it actually becomes a liability, not an asset. And in the world of real estate, you know, that's, that's true every time.
1: Totally. And, and, and that's a philosophy that, um, you know, I, I had to come about because I've invested in stuff that didn't have income, that I didn't have control, and I didn't have proper leverage or was, weren't, weren't tax efficient. So, uh, so, yeah. The second thing, and I think a lot of real estate investors are going to uh, love this one, and it's the, which I call the three levels of economics. I, I want to find opportunities that fall within the three levels of economics. And that's touching on Don Campbell's work uh, heavily. So the three levels of economics is the first level is the market economics. How's your market doing? You know, Ottawa versus Toronto versus Calgary versus everywhere. Second level is your neighborhood economics. How's your neighborhood doing versus, you know, east side, west side, south, downtown? And then the third level of economics is your property economics. How good is your deal today? And I say to investors, if you get, if you have buying in the right market, in other words, Ottawa versus Calgary versus Vancouver versus Toronto, and in the right neighborhood within that market, you can buy an okay deal and you should do okay. But if you get a phenomenal price, phenomenal property economics in a terrible neighborhood and in a
0: declining market you will likely not survive so true so true good insights you uh actually drive a lot of uh thoughts right now and we could go on this conversation for a very long time but uh, maybe we're going to have you on the show again i think it's uh it's going to be appropriate you got so much to offer nick and i really appreciate your time and energy as we wind down, okay, as we wind down, uh, we have to go to some rapid fire questions just to uh, have some fun and, and uh, dig in a little bit deeper on Nick and who he is. What's your favorite book and what do you gift the most in books?
1: Uh, the book I gift the most or I get people to read the most is definitely Napoleon Hill, uh, but the classic book where it has all the esoteric stuff. So it's a phenomenal book, uh, the 1927 version. Highly recommend it. Uh so that's definitely the, the book I read the most. But the one that I say really made a major I so there's only one book in my whole life that I've read in 4 days. Generally a book takes me about one or two months just because of the pace I read. Uh there's one book that I could literally not sleep and I had to read it in a f- 4 days and the book is called Power Versus Force from David Hawkins. Power Versus Force. If you're into the 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 aspect of your thoughts and feelings and consciousness in other words who are you who do you need to be i'll let readers figure out uh the journey through that book because that one's a very
0: powerful one for me anyways just on the book subject because i've just i'm not yeah more recently i've really found that reading is uh is too slow for me you know, I think we've become programmed with video and all the things that are going on. That our brains—I believe my brain—is firing different. So I, I'm actually not processing reading as it, it, to the degree I can, and I'm having a lot more retention and takeaway if I'm doing audio now. And I'm actually to the point where I'm—I use Audible, and and I'm actually listening to the books at you know one and a half speed. So in other words, and my my brain and my ears actually trained and fired so that even if I go back to normal speed, it almost lets, sounds like there's talking in slow motion. So 1.5 and I can listen and I can take it down and I'm, I'm finding my retention is much better. Do you do, have you tried uh, audio? Have you tried like an audible kind of scenario at all, Nick? Just out of curiosity.
1: I do. I, in in my car, I have probably 200 CDs. Uh, so yes, in the car. Uh, but I still love the physicality of reading the book Mm -hmm. and highlighting them. And then, you know, on my, on my Facebook page, there's a couple of posts where, you know, I, I review and summarize phenomenal books and, and they become essentially a study for me. So that's why I, I do the physical book. still.
0: yep. Very, very cool. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote? I do.
1: The the one that drives me every day is is the following is how i do anything is how i do everything Mm. and it's really about who i am and how do i show up because it shows up in the small little things it shows up in in everything
0: those that's a powerful one uh on a scale of one to ten how weird is nick uh
1: I think from the outside I'm I'm probably normal so 5 6 but on the inside if you were inside you would probably feel I'm a 15
0: <laughs> That's awesome. <So. laughs> uh that's funny. Room desk or your car what do you clean first? Uh definitely the car but we, I have a toddler so that's uh, that's an ongoing challenge. <laughs> oh yes it is. What's your favorite swear word? fuck <laughs> yeah now you're french what's your primary do you are you more english be, or french like where do you go in 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 language right now
1: uh uh i mean all all work is pretty much all english uh, yeah. but at home it's all french uh-huh. but when i do swear in french it's uh, this uh uh it's you know it's uh, going back on uh, on tabernacle, but yeah. i, I kind of say it in a nice way which is uh oh, so okay. <laughs> it, it's uh it's like saying uh you know, uh, crap as opposed to shit or fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Got it. Cool. Do you have a favorite tune?
1: Not really, to be honest. I don't, I don't really listen to music very much anymore. I only listen to kind of Baroque music and, uh, uh, just to be focused, but I don't, I don't, I feel like I don't have the time for music anymore. I I either listen to podcasts or or I'm working.
0: You know, you, uh, you mentioned Baroque and I think that you know, that's probably, I learned that one many years ago. So if I'm writing, and uh, particularly if I'm writing, but if yeah, I'm, when I want to be in an environment of creativity and thinking, and in this case, you know, in my case, often writing, uh, Baroque is definitely, definitely a powerful, powerful uh, yeah. way to learn and listen. And as a matter of fact, I learned that in study. So, in other words, you know, if you have students in your home, and that are studying for an exam baroque fires the brain in a really really interesting way and i and back to the reading a bit i often will put baroque on if i'm reading you know really low volume in my in my headset and man it really works well
1: it does totally the same for me as well yeah
0: do you have a favorite movie
1: favorite movie uh you know uh, this point in time with family, it, it seems like it's always, uh, the Paw Patrol kids uh, <laughs> and, and dogs for a little daughter. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. But One of our great movies is the, um, you know, fast and furious, uh, and, you know, fast and furious. Everybody really enjoy those.
0: Perfect. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? Thank you for your contribution. And Nick, what are you grateful for today? Oh my gosh.
1: Uh, so much. I, I'm, I'm grateful for my family, uh, my parents, uh, my sister. I'm grateful for the journey they they've given me. I'm grateful for my family, uh, my wife and my little daughter. I'm grateful for the people I'm surrounded uh, by. Uh, I'm grateful for the community. Uh, I'm part of, and uh, you know what? I'm just really grateful for life in general. I think we're so blessed and oftentimes, um, you know, I lose the perspective based on all the, the challenges, but when I step back to really take a deep breath and just look and say, you know what, I can walk, I can eat, I can tie my shoes. To me, these are, are are miracles are mini miracles that we get to experience. So I'm quite grateful for all of it.
0: I'm grateful today, particularly for having had the opportunity to have this conversation with you, Nick. Thank you very much. Incredibly grateful for it. I'm I'm particularly grateful today, and like you, I'm grateful for a great life, and 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 that's awesome. Today, I'm feeling particularly grateful for my wife, who I'm always grateful for. Stephanie is a really real, a very very uh, powerful part of my life and uh, integral. And I'm also grateful for some close friends. And I find uh, I've learned over the years that when you face inver- adversity in a big way, I'm uh, often surprised at who shows up and who doesn't show up and uh today i'm i'm today i'm i'm noticing who doesn't show up and i'm grateful for those who have
1: oh such a such a such a phenomenal lesson yeah totally i'm grateful for that
0: too nick my friend i look forward to uh speaking with you a lot more in the future and uh look forward to actually having you uh grace our stage with your uh, wisdom and uh, lessons that you can learn and i appreciate your time my friend
1: happy to have a contribution thank you for thank
0: you for this ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening if you found value in the podcast please take the time to rate and review and share with others share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you the listener if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo@raincanada.com. That's CEO at reinCada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick O.